who were you five years ago and who are you now? What has changed? And talk to yourself five years ago and you'll be able to find your audience. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Sean Tyler Foley. Tyler, how are you? Oh, I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Matt? I am doing super duper. The sun is shining. I'm excited. I actually, I'm excited to hear more about your book, too, because it's a topic I love. Sean Tyler Foley uh, likes to go by. Tyler is the author of the number one bestselling book, The Power to Speak Naked, and can help you confidently take the stage and tell your story. So, Tyler, I wanted to ask you first, before we get into it, how did you get the idea for the book and what is kind of the, the idea behind it? So the book came about from my training sessions, actually. I have been helping people learn how to public speak for years. I grew up in the theater. I've been in stage and film and television since I was six years old. So I have over 35 years of performance experience. And a lot of times people would hear me speak because I would always be asked to MC or give a speech or, or whatever socially. And a lot of people would hear that and say, Oh, you did that so well. How can, how can I do that? And so I would start showing my friends some tips and tricks on how to be more confident, give better presentations and just command the stage. And eventually that moved into me showing people at work how to do that. And then there were people outside of work and in just my general social circle who wanted to know it. And then people started asking if they could pay me to do it. And I was like, I I will take your money. Absolutely. And I started developing an actual system for training people on how to do this. And then it became just an easier thing to give people a book, right? Instead of trying to schedule one-on-one time or even put together training courses, it was just easier to give them the book. And then if they had more questions, then I could follow up. But we were starting from groundwork and, and a similar foundation. And that's why the book came about. Nice. So... The power to speak naked, I take it that is something along the lines of, you know, the the old public speaking thing where they tell people if they have stage fright that you're supposed to like picture everybody naked. Is that kind of where that title came from? Yeah, it's a direct jab at what I think is the absolute worst advice you can ever give <laughs> <Right>. somebody. <laughs> the, the idea behind picturing your audience naked, I believe, is to calm your nerves by somehow seeing other people in more discomfort than yourself. And that's not actually addressing the root cause of your own anxieties and fear. So I think that picturing your audience naked, first of all, it takes a lot of mental power and you're already having to use that up giving your presentation. So why would you waste more of it with an imaginary thing that doesn't serve your cause or serve your message? So I went on a rant actually one day when I was trying to come up with a title of the book and I was asking a group of friends what advice they had heard about public speaking because we were trying to brainstorm titles that way and somebody had brought up the the naked audience and I went that I just went off I'm like I don't I think it's dumb and I said everything that I just said to you and then I was like you know what I would rather give people the power to speak naked themselves than to picture the audience naked never kind of went well, that's, that's actually not a bad title. And the more we 
ruminated over it, the more I realized that it had multiple levels and layers to it. So on the surface, I genuinely would want somebody to be so confident in their message that they could take the stage wearing the emperor's clothes and be entirely comfortable and give such a powerful presentation that it didn't matter what they were wearing because their message would captivate people and that would be what people were paying attention to, not what the clothes on their body were. And then the sub layer to that is exposing ourselves to actually speak the raw naked truth. So saying the things that we're afraid to say or that we're worried we're going to be judged for and actually coming out and being authentic, which is an overused word now in the industry, I would advise your audience, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. So in the book, we go over how to really truly understand who you are and have the power to say the things that you're afraid to say, because usually that's what your audience needs to hear. And by sharing that bit of yourself, you get them on board and giving you the power to do that. And then between those two, in the middle, the title also suggests that I want you to be able to speak without gimmicks. So you don't need the PowerPoints, you don't need props, you don't even need a stage and lighting. This book is designed to help people who are just having normal conversations in boardrooms or presentations in work groups. If they want to take big stages like I do, it'll give them a foundation. But this is really to get people more comfortable giving a, a toast at a wedding or giving a speech at a wedding or standing up in the boardroom and giving that presentation that your boss has asked you, which will eventually help you raise your social status within your work environment and get a raise. There's actually a study that shows people's fear of public speaking at work has a 10% impotence on their ability to get a higher wage and has a 15% reduction in their chance of getting a promotion. So you combine the two and a fear of public speaking is actually hurting people's wallet. And I want to address that. That's the people that I want to help. Yeah, there's definitely a fear of public speaking. And when we, uh, at our company, when we were hiring employees, probably one of the most important factors we had is getting someone who is comfortable with public speaking. Like it was a requirement of our staff, um, even staff who don't do presentations, because we need them to be able to communicate with clients. Yeah, super, super important. Now, you and I had talked about talking about that there's there's sort of a method, right? There's some steps to telling a compelling story. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that method? Yeah, and it's actually really quite simple. First of all, if anybody wants to, they can study it more by just reviewing Joseph Campbell's work with The Hero Journey. So everything that I'm going to be discussing right now is along the lines of The Hero's Journey. But we're going to focus on the first three steps of that. So for anyone who is unfamiliar, The Hero's Journey is a system and methodology for all compelling stories that have ever been written. So if you look at anything from Ulysses all the way up to Star Wars, they all follow kind of the same, or even the Odyssey, they all follow the same kind of structure where you have a hero who, when we find him, is unaware, is in a state of uh, stasis where he, he's just living his life or her life. And then there is a crisis. Something sends them into turmoil. 
after that, they meet a sage or mentor who guides them through a series of trials and tribulations until they eventually meet the nemesis or the cause of their strife and overcome that nemesis and, and return home. And that whole structure is it's universal. And so what we do is we look at the first three sections of that. And when we are telling a compelling story, the key to it is that we're not the hero of the story. We are the sage or the mentor. So what we want to do is convey what we did to overcome our own nemesis so that we can offer advice as a sage and mentor to somebody who is in a similar state as we were when we were in the state of unaware and we're dropped into crisis. And that's how we get our audience to identify with us because we speak to them where they are now and finding where those compelling stories are. Les Brown says it best. And so I love quoting him. You never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. So when we're trying to figure out where some of these stories are, particularly because I know at some point somebody in your audience is going to be thinking, yeah, but my life isn't exciting. I just, I, you know, what do I do? And I was the same way. It's funny because I teach this stuff to my clients, but I'm like, well, you know, who am I? What do I do? And then you start breaking your life and you're like, oh, hey, you know, I've had some pretty exciting things. So the first step to finding those stories before you can tell them is to take your life and divide it into five time periods. So however old you are, take your age, divide by five. And for me, I'm in my early 40s. So average eight-year epochs. And then you're going to have a little remainder. I always tell everybody, let's take that remainder, the couple of years that are left over, because you're not going to get perfectly even unless right you're on a five or a 10. We're going to take that remainder and just drop it off into your beginning years right? Because nobody really remembers what they did for the first two years of their life anyway. So, you know, if there's important stories in there, that's great. But if not, it gives you a little bit more leeway. So for me, my first epoch, if I divide 40 by five, that's eight tack on my extra two years into the beginning. My first epoch is from birth until 10 years old. And in that time period, my father passed away when I was six. So there are many stories or many lessons that come from the one story of my father's passing. But that's, that's what I would focus on. And then the next time period, 11 to 18, I had a, a few. The first time that I openly grieved for my father, the first time I actually felt emotion and cried because of his passing was when I was 12 years old, receiving an award at school. And then at 17, I had a medical incident that left my, the left side of my body, including my face paralyzed. So I look at those and once, you, once you've done that, you should be able to find at least one story in each one of your time periods, right? My most recent one, we fast forward to this most current epoch, it's the birth of my daughter and all of the lessons that I've learned being a father and raising her. And so we look at, now that we have events in our life, we want to break them down and say, well, what lessons did we learn? So when my father passed, first of all, I learned that there's grace in the world because at the time, it was really hard to understand why my father was never coming back. And again, I didn't really recognize that concept for almost six years. But I know that it set me on a trajectory because I wasn't openly grieving. My mother and my uncle were looking for an outlet for me to have some kind of emotional release. And that's how I got into theater. 
So if it weren't for my father passing, I would have never gotten into theater. And if I hadn't gotten into theater, my life would be drastically different. And you fast forward to the next lesson. The first time that I openly grieved for my father was the realization of the significance of, of that loss. And then when I had my medical incident, whether it was a stroke or a palsy, we still don't really know. But the left side of my body essentially shut down. And it took almost a year of really dedicated physiotherapy and medical work to get it back. And at 17, my whole life, that I thought it was over at that point. And so discovering both the joys of the positive mindset, overcoming adversity, all of the lessons that I learned from it, I can now translate to an audience. So there are multiple lessons that you can find in each one of the events. And then it's just your job to now tell the story using the hero's journey story arc and making yourself the mentor instead of the hero. So that when you're telling your story, your audience can sympathize with you, but learn from what you have done. And uh, if you want to do it even simpler and you're like, well, I don't want to deal with it. There's too much math, Tyler. It's too hard. I say, okay, you want it just a really quick, simple way. Who were you five years ago? And who are you now? What has changed? And talk to yourself five years ago and you'll be able to find your audience using the hero's journey. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And another thing I find interesting in there about being the mentor or the the sage or the guide kind of thing versus being the hero of the story. I think that people don't really understand that in most stories, the hero is is actually the weaker character, right? They're the one who doesn't know how to overcome the obstacle. And they're the one who's scared that they're not good enough or they're not going to make it. And, you know, they're the one who gets hopeless and that kind of thing in all of these stories. And the guide is the strong one who helps them overcome so that they can have that character arc, right? So you want to be the guide, right? You want to be the strong counselor who helps people get over whatever that thing is that you've experienced before, right? And because, I mean, honestly... The reason that we're telling stories is we want to get a point across. We want to provide value and all those kind of things. It's hard to do that if you are going to be the, you know, if you're self-centered talking about just yourself, um, then you're not seen as as providing value, right? You're kind of taking value. I don't know if I'm wording that exactly right, but. Well, no, and you're correct. And just one other statistic to just back up your point, believe it or not, they did a study on audience engagement. And when you are having a monologue, with your audience. So you're just telling them, even if you're being supportive (laughs) and providing really good value and information, the audience is only going to have about a 78% engagement where if you have a dialogue where you are talking with them, which usually happens more if you are making them the hero and you are guiding them because now you need to be asking questions and, and getting involved. As soon as it becomes a dialogue with your audience, the engagement goes up to 92%. And you look at that on the surface and it becomes obvious. You're like, oh, of course. But we as speakers tend to get trapped into this, I need to speak because that's my job. And, and your job is not to speak. Your job is to communicate. And in communication, it's a two-way street. So open it up, open the dialogue, make your audience the center of attention, make them the hero and the engagement skyrockets exponentially. So what I know that stories generally start, you know, somebody's going along living their life as normal and there's some kind of instigating event. Right. But generally, I find when I'm writing, especially kind of more modern stuff like social media posts or short videos and things like that, you've kind of got to start at the action. Right. You don't have the 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 attention span time to kind of lay the foundation. Right. 
So a lot of times I'll see, you know, in, in, and we can see, right, when we get engagement back from posts and videos and things like that, we can see where drop off points and stuff are. When we start from kind of things are just kind of going along as normal and then there's some instigating event and then, you know, and that kind of sets off the story. We find that we do better when we start at the point where the event is, right? Like we start at almost like the James Bond movie formula. James Bond movies don't start with James Bond sitting around sipping cocktails on the beach. They start with like James Bond is careening down a bungee cord on a cliff to stop a bomb or something, right? You know, and then they give the background after. I, I, I wonder how that matters, you know, in the formula of storytelling. Well, I think it, it, first of all, it's important. You're talking about is just an attention grab. But again, we can formulate that, you know, so if I've had, well, let's use my stroke as just an example. If I was to say it, you know, just the typical me, 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 you know, I had, a, you know, I, I woke up New Year's Eve and the left side of my body didn't work in a very, very succinct way, just so that for <laughs> reference of time. But for your audience, what I would turn around and say, instead of making it me-centric and to give them an example, I would say, have you ever had your entire life laid out in front of you and then had it change in a blink of an eye? Something unexpected, whether that is a shoe that drops or an unexpected medical incident. I remember waking up when I was 17 years old New Year's Day after a very sober night out and not knowing why my body wasn't working. And it wasn't until I couldn't brush my teeth and the toothpaste was spilling out the side of my mouth that my mom looked at me and said, Tyler, I think there's something wrong. And in that moment, my life changed forever. So we start with, have you ever had this thing? Then I say, what happened to me? And then we dive into the details of it. So as you had pointed out, and it's great reference, by the way, the James Bond opening, we hit them with the stuff, but you word it in a way that you're qualifying them first. Have you ever had an unexpected moment? Have you ever had your life change in a blink? Like these are things. Have you ever thought that your life was over because of something that had an event that had happened in your life? Those are all language and words that you can get your, your audience on board. But again, make them centric. Right. I think that's a valuable insight for people, especially if they're giving presentations. I find that presentations and and I don't know how many presentations you've gone to, like in the small business world, but I've been to like a thousand and oh, my God, nine hundred and fifty of those started with I am this person. This is what I do at my company. This is how long my company's been around. This is why you should listen to me. Here's all my qualifications. And they're just dry. And they're boring and you don't care by the time the person starts getting to the point and, you know, your mind wanders. You're thinking about, you know, I hope the free lunch is good at this thing today. And, you know, it's just it's it's painful. Right. And I think people being able to have that get drawing people into the story is something that is is very it's very powerful in in your business or you know, your life in general is being able to tell a good story, but also to draw people in. I think that's super valuable. So let's let's start with maybe a little bit of a story here ourselves. Somebody's got to do a business presentation. They got to give a talk in the boardroom, whatever. Right. That is that they have to do. And, you know, their life has been going along as usual at work. And and their boss calls them up and says, hey, you know, Joe canceled. And Susan, I need you to come in and do this presentation for us. The clients are going to be there. You know, it's it's the biggest presentation of the year. How does Susan 
start that journey to get prepared to do this? Well, so she wants to make sure that she can identify with the information that needs to be presented. So the first question that I always ask in any presentation, and it goes for business doubly, it doesn't sound like it would, but it does. What does this information mean to me? Why is this important to me, myself personally? And if the answer is, well, I don't care, well, nine times out of 10, your audience probably doesn't care either. And at that point, now you have to start doing a deep dive into understanding why. And the first thing to remember is if you've been asked to do a presentation, it's because you were the most qualified person to do it at the time, which makes you the expert. And that doesn't mean that you have to be the expert in everything about that information or those numbers. Uh, say it's the you know sales numbers from the last quarter. You are asked to present that because you have the most understanding of that information in that moment. But it doesn't mean that you know everything about it. And nor do you have to. You just have to know enough about that conversation to be able to competently guide the discussion around the information that's being presented. And I would refer back to my previous point. You don't have to talk all the time. And please spare yourself the anguish and the struggle of talking and spare your audience the anguish of listening to that monologue, get their engagement up and start asking them questions. So one of my favorite things to do in any presentation is do a quick overview of what we're going to cover and then ask, what does this information mean to you? What do these numbers mean? What do these statistics mean? What impact does this have on you? What do you see? And I let people start talking. Now, my job is to have done enough research and study ahead of time that I'm, it's like a lawyer. A lawyer never asks a question in a courtroom that they don't already know the answer to. So your job is to elicit feedback, but have prepared enough that you can either agree or disagree and defend your position during that discussion. So maybe somebody says, oh, well, I see that. Q1 is a disaster. Like we, we were in the red and obviously there's something that needs to be addressed. And you have studied and you go, well, actually, you'll remember that Q1, we had to shut down the office for two weeks because of the government telling everybody that they had to work from home. And that happened March 17th. And so that, that impacted the very last, the trailing two weeks of Q1. And that's why these numbers are down. But you will note that they had a sustained lowering in Q2, but once we were able to open back up in Q3, this has been addressed. Who else can see that or how does this make sense to anybody else? And then you pass it back to the audience and you you have a volley, right? And that is, if you're trying to get into a presentation, don't worry so much about what you're going to say, but backing up your stance and your understanding of what needs to be presented and let your audience guide the conversation. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And, you know, just one last question before and then we'll we'll ask you how people can get a hold of you. Why is it important to you that people have the ability to speak confidently and speak well? Well, in a very, very deep sense, I believe that everybody has a story and I've seen the power of story. I've seen how one person saying I struggle with mental health. I struggle with these types of thoughts can have a ripple effect in a positive way 
where it gets a dialogue going. I look at, you know, people, I have good friends who are first responders who struggle with PTSD. My uncle was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer for years and saw some really horrible stuff. And it wasn't until he was able to open up and talk to people that he was able to, to find help with some of the thoughts that he was struggling with. And so I know firsthand, I've seen it on multiple occasions, that somebody's ability to publicly declare what's on their heart and mind can change the world. And even if it's as simple as your sphere within work, I pointed out the statistics on how just the ability to public speak can improve your ability to earn. And if you can improve your ability to earn, you can improve your life. And you, in your company, (laughs) Matt, you were only hiring people based on their ability. It was one of the screening things. And they're so 77% of the world is afraid to, which means that at least three quarters of your audience right now listening to this is afraid to public speak. And if they could just find the courage to say what was on their mind and and find confidence in themselves, they could improve their life. And it really is life improving. So why wouldn't I make that my mission to improve people's lives by doing this one simple thing and getting you to do something that you already do anyways? We all speak in public. We're not afraid of public speaking. We have public dialogues every day. What happens is, is when the spotlight becomes us and we're not thinking about, you know, just having a conversation with a friend and now all of a sudden we're needing to present, it's the fear of judgment that we're actually afraid of. And so breaking down that barrier, breaking down those walls and getting people confident in their message can improve their lives. So it's it's my mission and I'm passionate about it. Absolutely. People are afraid, deep down, are afraid of being embarrassed. People get embarrassed because people judge them. And so the fear of public speaking is that fear of embarrassment, right? And man, what a powerful fear that is. It stops so many people from doing so many things. The book is The Power to Speak Naked by Sean Tyler Foley. Sean, how can people get a hold of you and how can they get the book? The best and fastest way is to go to seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y. Pop on there and you can message me. You can say, Tyler, I heard you on the radio and I was on, I heard you on Matt's show. And I will say, well, great, perfect. And anybody who's listening right now, if they want, they can download the method, which is right on the main landing page. Just click it. It's right in the middle. And it's an 11 page booklet that's free download. It'll give you five insider secrets that I've gained over 35 years of public speaking that'll help you instantly become more confident in taking the stage and telling your story. And anybody who wants the book, I would strongly encourage you to go to Barnes & Noble or better, your local retailer and your mom and pop's store because everybody knows that they were struggling this year and just ask them to pre-order it. The book will be available September 7th in all bookstores around the world. and But you can pre-order barnesandnoble.com or go to your local book retailer and just ask them to put it aside. And if you want to get a digital copy of it, we have ability to do that when you download the method. So just follow the prompts and we'll try to get you a digital copy into your hands before it's released worldwide September 7th. Perfect. Tyler, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. 
Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.